1: This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables.
2: Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome members of our armed forces who are joining us from remote locations over the Internet and listeners tuning in on new radio affiliates in Hawaii, California, New Hampshire, Florida, Tennessee, and Minnesota. Thank you for being with us today. In just a moment, one of our country's most respected journalists and news anchors, Mr. Jim Lair, will be joining the program to give us some insights on what goes on behind the scenes of a presidential debate and why the journalists who ask the question seem to be as much a part of the story as the candidates themselves. But before Mr. Lehrer joins us, as is my custom each week, Let me tell you a little about his background. James Charles Lair was born in Wichita, Kansas, and grew up in Beaumont and San Antonio, Texas. He is a graduate of Victoria College and the University of Missouri. His career began when he became a reporter for the Dallas Morning News in 1959. He later joined the Dallas Times-Herald, where he covered the assassination of John F. Kennedy and rose to become the city editor. From here, Lair tackled television. He became the host of... The newsroom on CARA TV in Dallas and later moved to Washington to join PBS as the public affairs coordinator. But what you may best know Mr. Lair for was his unique partnership with Robert McNeil during the Watergate hearings and the McNeil Lair report, which resulted from their unique collaboration. In 1995, with McNeil's departure, the program was renamed the NewsHour with Jim Lair Le- Mc- and later the PBS NewsHour. Lair stepped down as anchor of the program in 2011, but only after earning several Emmys, the George Foster Peabody Broadcast Award, and just about every acknowledgment given for journalism excellence. In short, Lair set the standard. And if our research is correct... While he was anchoring his landmark news program, Mr. Lair found time to moderate 12 presidential debates and author several best-selling books. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report the man who has been called the dean of moderators, Mr. Jim Lair. Thank you for joining us today, Mr. Lair.
3: Well, thank you, Rebecca. I'm I'm honored by your introduction, and I'm honored to be uh, present with you. Thank you.
2: Well, I'm so glad you could make time to be with us. As you know, we just had the first of the GOP candidate debates. And just out of curiosity, what did you think about the format and the questions?
3: Well, it's a very complicated issue. Uh, the the, uh, the debates for the primaries, in other words, the nomination debates, are very different than the general election debates. So they the, the rules have to be different and also you have in the republican case you have 17 candidates so uh... they couldn't all fit or at least the decision was made they could not all fit on and on one stage at one time so they had to divide them up and uh... i think there probably could have been a way they could have done it but uh... uh... i, I don't uh... I, you know i'm 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 not i don't have a i don't have a a, a better way of doing it uh than the way they ended up doing it. I thought that from the standpoint of uh, just as a viewer, it was very interesting. I thought that the people who asked the questions, in other words, the journalists, asked uh, real questions for the most part, and uh, they were, uh, some of them, uh, extremely difficult, but they were professionally uh, uh, offered, I thought. Uh, So generally speaking, it was uh, an interesting 90 minutes or two hours, whatever, whatever it was, depending on when you were counting.
2: You know I've been watching election debates going back to Kennedy and Nixon. My parents yeah. used to sit us in front of the radio and the television and And for reasons i I can't explain, this debate struck me as being very casual for such an important decision that the country's going to make. I mean, there was part of me that wants the structure and the moderators to treat the debates and and also the candidates more seriously, more respectfully. After all, we're, we're talking about the highest office in the world. Am I being a stick in the mud?
3: No, you're not. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I, I particularly feel, I feel strongly uh, about that in terms of the general election uh, debates in particular. And I think the Commission on Presidential Debates runs those debates in, in, in a very old-fashioned, uh, stick-in-the-mud way, to, to use your term. And I, and I agree with that. This is serious business. There is uh, there are no stakes uh, in in the world of American politics or maybe possibly world politics that are higher than uh, than those at uh, at these presidential debates. So I agree with you. It, they are serious They are serious events, and they should be considered that, and they should be uh, performed that way. They should be presented that way, and everybody who participates should uh, keep that in mind, and everybody who watches should keep that in mind. I agree with you.
2: Yeah, there was just something about this tone that struck me more as a carnival type of atmosphere, like a game show or something, and I, I, I just, it just struck me as the wrong tone. Uh, but let's talk about what happened immediately after the first debate. Um, all of the media's attention seemed to focus on Donald Trump's claim that he was targeted by Megyn Kelly. So, as a person who was moderated twelve debates were were you surprised by all that hubbub?
3: you know, I really wasn't uh the uh, this has happened before four years ago also in and some republican debates uh, uh Newt Gingrich uh attacked the moderator in that case John king at a of c n n it's 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 good mileage and people know that um, and a candidate uh, who is particularly a candidate who uh As uh, anyhow, it it is always fertile territory to attack the moderator. If you've got some juice, if you've got some uh, if you have an an attack that's based on something and people want to go, if if, partisans uh, are always going to side against the moderator, if the moderator asks a question that in some way is interpreted as not necessarily negative, but is interpreted as being uh, difficult. For uh, for his or her candidate to answer, and so it's a, it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a it's good thing for them to do. So when 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 Trump did what he did, I was surprised the way he did it, and I thought he went too, and he went very strong with it. Uh, but to attack the moderator is uh, there's 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 precedent for that.
2: I don't know. That just—it seems kind of—I don't know—like a a gimmick or something to go after the moderator if if all else fails. I I mean, anytime there's a debate, the moderator comes under scrutiny. And this even happened to you in 2012, where half the audience was delighted that you let the candidates address each other in the debate, and the other half criticized you and said you didn't take control of the debate. Can you talk (laughs) a little bit about your decision to let the candidates talk to one another?
3: Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you ask about that I, because yes, you're exactly right. There were there were I was criticized for for letting it go, and the same time praised for 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 letting it go. Um, the, the the bottom line for me was I signed on to let it go. That is what the the Commission on Presidential Debates wanted. They wanted to move to a, a more open format, and they 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 asked me. Uh, as the moderator, uh, to do that, and and the candidates were so informed, uh, there was no, and 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 the public was so informed. I mean, in other words, I said that at the very beginning, and then I tried everything I could to get it open, get it opened up, and once it did get opened up, I left it alone, and my feeling was that um, I did what I set out to do. Now, some people uh, criticized me because they wanted, they they felt that it it needed to be more. One minute here, one, two minute, one minute, two minute. Two, well, that's the way they've always been. But in this case, the debate commission, not I didn't make that decision. The debate commission made the decision uh, to open it up. And they just wanted me to facilitate that. And that's what I tried to do.
2: Well, that's one of the things I've admired about you as a moderator is you never tried to make yourself part of the story. I'm wondering in this last GOP debate, did you feel that they were trying to, you know, make themselves part of the story? Unfortunately, we're going to have to take a hard break, but I'd, I'd like to explore that a little bit because, sure. uh, you know, it's such an opportunity for a moderator. I wonder... uh Well, first of all, I would never do it because, (laughs) because no matter what you do, somebody's going to (laughs) be unhappy with you. But, but, uh, but it's such an opportunity. And so I wonder if there, if some moderators do wind up positioning themselves in such a way that they make themselves part of the story. And I think that's just uh, absolutely opposed to what I think a moderator ought to be doing. But let's take that up on the other side of the break. Uh, Stay right where you are. When we come back, we're going to find out why some questions never seem to come up in the debates. You're listening to the Costa Report. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars, recent winners of the best sparkling wine in the U.S. in the Champagne and Sparkling Wine World Championship. Congratulations, Scott. Thank
4: you, Rebecca. Thanks for having me.
2: So what is it about your Brut Cuvée that beat all the other competitors around the world?
4: We really focus on creating an expression of the Santa Lucia Highlands and doing it the right way. And when you control the process from the beginning to the end and you have talent like Michelle and top-tier grapes, they really shine through. This was a worldwide competition. It was definitely a humbling experience. We were in a room with producers that have been making wine for over 100, 200 years and was a huge honor to have Tom Stevenson give us the best u.s sparkling wine award we fared really well overall we had three wines win best of class which was great
5: visit the caraccioli tasting room on Dolores street in carmel by the sea or find us online at caracciolicellars.com or reach us by phone 831-622-7722
3: When you need legal help, call on the Angel. It's a fact. We'll all need help to resolve a legal matter of one kind or another. When you find yourself in need of legal help, call on Angel Hess, attorney at law. She's been helping people with legal documents for over 20 years. Now, Angel has earned her master's in legal studies and juris doctorate and is licensed to practice law for you.
6: I'm Angel Hess, attorney at law. With my help, we can resolve your legal matters quickly and efficiently. I will listen to your needs and keep you informed of the pros and cons of each legal strategy. We will find the best course of action for you. And if I can't help you, then I will help you find someone who can.
3: And today, Angel Hess has an angelic offer for each of you KSCO listeners, and only you KSCO listeners, a free half-hour consultation. That's right. Just pick up the phone and call her with your legal matter, mention KSCO, and get your free consultation today. When you find yourself in need of legal help, Call on Angel L. Hess, attorney at law in Santa Cruz at 831-426-8536 or www.santacruzlegal.net.
7: Hi, I'm Andy, the produce manager at Bendelman Market. This holiday, we are featuring California garnet yams, 99 cents a pound, naval oranges, seventy nine cents a pound, broccoli crowns, a dollar ninety nine a pound, red seedless grapes two sixty nine a pound, three pound bag seedless clementines three ninety nine each. California Hot House Cluster Tomatoes $1.69 a pound. And one pound clamshell strawberries three ninety nine each. From Washington we have large Granny Smith apples, large and small Fuji apples ninety nine cents a pound. From Mexico we have tender green beans, $1.99 a pound, and from Peru, we have asparagus, $3.99 a pound. In organics, we are featuring garnet yams, $1.49 a pound, and organic five-pound bag russet potatoes, $2.99 each. Check out our great selection of fresh produce at Ben Lomond Market. <music>
2: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is legendary news anchor and best-selling author, Jim Lair. And before the break, you were making the point that uh, the structure of the debate you moderated in 2012 was to allow the candidates to address each other. And so uh, that had been decided far in advance. And as a result, when they began speaking to one another, y- you didn't intervene. Uh, yet... There were a lot of viewers who weren't aware of that, and they were critical that you uh, didn't stop the candidates. Uh, And it was a shame that that point wasn't made, I think, in advance.
3: Well, I agree with you, Rebecca. In fact, I I regret very much that – not very much, but I regretted very much at the time (laughs) afterward – that um, more people didn't understand what the drill was, and I was merely uh, merely executing what uh, had been agreed to and uh, it's too bad, but I think everybody i was
2: delighted now. I was yeah. absolutely delighted to see them uh, address each other, and I wish there was even more of that um, uh, and I, but you know people I think did misunderstand now, sure. continuing with that line of thought, not long ago, I had a chance to visit with a Candy Crowley, who, as you know, did the opposite of what you did in 2012 and, and corrected one of the candidates. And again, all the attention seemed to go to the moderator after uh, the debate, which makes me wonder, why would anybody accept that job?
3: Well, you know something, I, do, I don't want to, you know, uh, uh, blow a bugle or, or, or do a, uh, hit any drum or anything as I say this, but I think if somebody is asked to moderate, a presidential debate if you if somebody if if the debate commission somehow deems you capable and qualified to do it, I don't see how you can say no <laughs> I, I just i think it's just it, it, i think it's just a responsibility it's part of your duty as a citizen to offer your skills but not necessarily. Uh, and think of it as a and as a as a showbiz go, or as an opportunity to audition for a better job, or to become a star, or any of that sort of stuff. It is a function. Uh, these debates, these presidential debates, are are a a part of a part of the of of the process that leads to electing the president of the United States. And if somebody is a moderator, he or she is also a functioning person in that process. And uh, I don't think any moderator should see him him or herself as an individual who has come to moderate. This is the Lair debate or the Billy Bob Dunn debate or the Wawa. This is the presidential debate uh, for the American people. And as long as people who, who do the moderating understand that, uh, they won't have a problem no matter what they do, whether it's right or wrong or perceived to be right or wrong.
2: Right. Well, you, you view this clearly as a service to your country.
3: Yeah, I mm-hmm. really do. I mean, it's, as I say, it sounds corny, but uh, I, really, I really do feel that way. Mm-hmm.
2: So let's talk a little bit about the process you go through in formulating the questions. How, do, how does that come about and how much freedom do you have to shape the questions and topics?
3: Well, there you have absolute freedom. Uh, there has never been an attempt in the twelve that I did. No, nobody ever attempted to influence uh, what questions I would ask. Uh, nobody from the commission. Nobody from outside the commission. Nobody from anybody's campaign. Yes, I got a lot of suggestions. I got millions of suggestions for questions uh, from individuals and from and and various special interest groups and 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 things like that. But as, in terms of somebody who could actually cause me to ask a certain question or not ask a certain question. I, I never, ever uh, had, uh, had anybody do that, and they would have, it would have been a fruitless exercise if they had tried. Uh, but in terms of, of, of preparing, uh, and, and you, uh, Rebecca, you know this as well as I do, preparing for questions is really about preparing to listen. It is yes. it, more than it is than preparing to write questions. Anybody can write questions. Anybody can come up with questions. Uh, uh, over, you know, It may take a while, but you can come up with questions. But you've got to do your homework so you can listen to the answers, because if, if you've got to be comfortable enough to be able to respond, I always... And the story I always tell is that it's never happened to me, but things like this have happened to me, where you know somebody says to me, "Well, uh, uh, I ask the question, Senator, do you think we should sell more grain to Cuba?" And uh, and the senator says, uh, 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 "Well, yes, I think I do think uh, I think we should, but before we do that, we should bomb Havana." And I say, what kind of grain, Senator? You know, and then it (laughs) goes right over goes right over your head, and and a, a moderator or an interviewer who is so tied up in his or her questions, who doesn't hear the answers. Is absolutely useless as far as I'm concerned because a moderator should listen and say, think, have enough information. Say, hey, that that's important. I should follow up on that, or that's nothing, or he or she said that something just the opposite of that two weeks ago, or whatever um, it, it is to be able to listen. And you, but the only only way you can do that effectively is to do your homework.
2: Well, I am so glad you brought that up because the amount of preparation that we have to do for me to do a one-hour interview with any of our guests is weeks and weeks of reading videos and so on and so forth, because you don't know where the person's going to go. And you need to be able to go there with them, which means you have to cover a hundred times more material than is ever going to get out in front of the public. Otherwise, you you, you can't go, you can't follow them.
3: Absolutely right. And you don't know how to judge whether or not this was important, what what Billy Bob just said, and uh, whether oh my goodness, this is really significant. Well, if if or or if you're so wrapped up in your next question, you probably, you will not hear hear something, and if you haven't done your homework, you won't hear it well enough to be able to react properly. Uh, that that's what it's all about.
2: Now, along those lines, uh, do you ever discuss the general topic areas with the candidates or their handlers in
3: advance? No, no. No, what what well, we did do in 2012, because it was part of the new uh, the new arrangement, uh, the moderators were asked to come up with uh, and and to announce ahead of time general areas. I see. Uh, and I did that. I did it in mine. I, I I think I had three on the economy and and I can't can't remember what the other two were. But they were not they were not not questions. They were just subject areas. The idea being to try to make these things more uh... more serious and less gotcha oriented and because uh, because it but but you know the bottom line on these things Rebecca. no matter what how well you you uh, a candidate does in terms of subjects and and of substance and all of that which is really what what it should be all about yes also the person uh... the personality uh... just the character of the candidate also comes through particularly in a one hour or ninety minute or a two-hour debate and you do you like the person? Do you think the person is, is, uh, is, is, a, is a, quote, good person? How can you tell that? Well, people do make those kinds of decisions based on just listening to them or watching them in a debate. It's very important stuff. So do
2: you divide your questions up into content questions and then maybe more that are leaning toward character?
3: Well, no, not unless character is an issue of mm-hmm. some kind and uh, it has become an issue. Then then I have I, I very seldom ask, uh, you know, blatant over the over the over <laughs> the uh, <Yeah. laughs> over the transom character question. Well, I and guess I,
2: I, sure. once John King got nailed for that, that was sort of the end of that, wasn't it?
3: <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, there are some times when character is an issue. And there's sometimes when it's not so much an issue. It may be perceived. I mean, character is always there, right? And, uh, but, but, but uh, a In other words, a character issue. Is this person? Has this person done something honest or dishonest or whatever? Uh, specific? Yes. Go. Right,
2: right. It's always there in the background of every you question. Bet. That's a good point. We have to take another short break. You bet. We'll be right back with more from Jim Lair. You're listening to the Costa Report.
8: Are
5: things getting a little messy around the office? At Coast Paper and Supply, we'll meet all your janitorial needs. Mops, dusters, disinfectants? We got them. Can't get rid of that smell in the break room? Try our deodorizer. Carpet stains? We have a cure for that too. While you're at it, pick up the essentials. Garbage cans and liners, sponges and brooms. Is your company going green? Coast Paper and Supply is offering earth-friendly cleaning and food service alternatives. Our ever-evolving stock includes compostable bowls, plates, cups, and cutlery, not to mention eco-friendly cleaners and biodegradable trash can liners, all at the lowest possible price. So come visit Coast Paper and Supply at 151 Josephine Street, or look us up at coastpapersupplyinc.com. You can also call us at 831-423-3350. That's 831-423-3350.
1: When it comes to selecting a doctor, dentist, or an accountant, we all want to know who is going to take care of us, right? So before you select a gunsmith, I invite you to drop by Del Valle Gunsmithing and get to know us. Hello, I'm Ray Parga, owner of Del Valle Gunsmithing in Marina. I am very proud of the reputation we have earned in our 30 years of service to the Central Coast community of gun owners and soon-to-be gun owners. Drop by and get to know us. We are at 224 Rheindoller in Marina. Here's what you will find happening right now at Del Valle Gunsmithing.
8: Mention you heard Ray on KSEO, and he will cover your California gun registration fees on in-store gun purchases.
1: We all want to know who is going to take care of us, right? When it comes to your handguns and rifles, choose the family-owned gunsmith with a 30-year reputation of excellent service. We are Del Valle Gunsmithing at 224 Rheindoller in Marina. Drop by Del Valle Gunsmithing and get to know us. 831-384-1911. That's 384 384- 1911 or dot gunsmithing.com. gunsmithing.com michael olson here watsonville airport something brand new and exciting and i have the person that's responsible and your name is ella king ella ella's at the airport yeah that's
6: right you got it right
1: what are you going to do to please the pallets of the monterey bay area with ella's at the airport
6: Uh, Well, we are working with mostly local, organic, sustainable seafoods, grass-fed meats. So you start with that, and from there we build a beautiful meal, be it lunch, dinner, or weekend brunch. I think that from there, we've got you covered.
1: Ella's at the airport also has a great outdoor seating area where you can watch the airplanes come and go, and we also feature a full bar. Ella's at the airport, 100 Aviation Way in Watsonville. Call 831-728-3282 for reservations. That's 728-3282.
2: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is Jim Lair. And before the break, you were explaining that... uh, There are no restrictions on the questions asked by presidential debate moderators, though the general subject areas may be shared with the candidates. Um, As a layman, I often wonder why certain questions are not asked. For example, one of the first things a new president must do is appoint a cabinet. So... Is there any reason we can't ask the candidates who they're considering for their vice presidential running mate or who's on their short list for secretary of state or secretary of defense or the Treasury? I mean, in the in the long run, we're electing a cabinet, not just one person. So I'm always curious why moderators don't go there.
3: (laughs) That's a good question, Rebecca. That's a very good question. And I probably should have asked it a few times and I didn't. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, well, I, they, they no. never ask it. I, I mean, I'm not singling you out as a moderator. No. I'm just saying the moderators no. never say, hey, who's on your no. short list? Give us a well, preview. I what,
3: I, there's a fine line, and, and, and trust me, it's a very fine line, uh, between questions that are, are more appropriate for debates versus those that are more appropriate for interviews. Mm-hmm. And if I were if I were to interview a presidential candidate, and I've interviewed a lot of a presidential candidates, and I have asked that question of them, which is not a debatable point, point necessarily, but it could be if uh, uh, if it, if somebody. I remember asking George H. W. Bush about his when when he was running for re-election. I just did an interview with him in Houston during the convention, and uh, I said, "What are you going to? Are you going to change your cabinet?" And he said, "Yes." And it was huge news. <laughs> it is, yeah, kind of a, yeah and I, yeah. I mean, your point is well taken, but I, it, it, uh, but in a debate, if you, it's, it's a little bit. It, it, it is uh, actually. You could ask the question. Now that I think about it, certainly there'd be a way you could ask a question that would be relevant. Uh, so you could ask both candidates, uh, and 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 have a, a, a kind of. But I've always felt that the, that those that the debate subjects should be things that uh, that. Uh, uh... that that are are issue more issue oriented but i but i i i get your point i mean if you if somebody said but most for the most part they say no i will not tell you right now uh... who who the who the who the candidates would be i mean who the who my cabinet would be uh, cabinet officers i
2: probably right ask right? well why not why why yeah. keep it a secret you're gonna have to tell sooner or later
3: sure well well but, but a candidate would just say well i'll make that decision well i'm not i'm not going to make that decision until uh, i'm elected unless unless somebody says uh they want unless they want to make a political point uh i'm 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 billy bob and if i'm elected president i promise you i'm going to make sammy sue my secretary of state and hey 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 or All right ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> And, uh, and it'd be
2: fun to ask the, uh, you know, uh, the other people that are in the debate. It'd be an awful fun to say, well, is his short list a good list? Would you have some of those people on your list?
3: Sure. No, no, no. You're, uh, I think
2: you could get sure. a really good dialogue going because, I, frankly, uh, I understand the president is the highest office in the land. But let's face it. It's who they select as cabinet.
3: Sure. Right? Sure. No, I, you know, you're, uh, you've made a very good point. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm well.
2: A- I, I, you know, they're not going to call me up to ask questions. So I guess I can just uh, sit back and fantasize all the questions
3: I would ever ask, <laughs> all I want to. Uh, now, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to do any more debates. So I can, I can agree with you. In there case, you go. Too. There you go.
2: So it, now, uh, I have another question for you. It's been sure. suggested by many people that when the candidates run uh, out their time, their microphones should be cut.
3: Well, you know, I, I've, I've. I've thought about that, and uh, <clears throat> I noticed that one of the things they did in the uh, Fox debate, the Republican debate, they, they had a buzzer or something, or rang a bell, and um, there was a, there was a discussion about that. Uh, I think among here again, not it's not a question that a moderator is going to decide, but I think they've had they've had. Uh, discussions among members of the debate commission and and staff people. Would would that make sense to do some kind of sound, have some kind of sound, uh, so the uh, audience would understand?
2: Well, they've got got countdown clocks in front of them, don't they? they? Yeah, they've got countdown clocks that are telling them, and they know they're at zero, and they just keep talking. And And then, as a moderator, you're put in a position Mm -hmm. of just being downright rude.
3: I know, I know. No, I thought about that, uh, and uh, probably in retrospect, uh, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's two, two great ideas. Yeah, because, <laughs> well, you know, you, well, coming
2: from Jim where, Lair, where I'm having a pretty needed, I'm having a good day today.
3: <laughs> where were you when I needed
2: you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it's also been suggested, and I, this is really controversial, but uh, it's been suggested: what if you just put the candidates and their vice presidential candidates? all in a room at a table with no moderator and just watched and saw what happened.
3: Well, that's been suggested too. I, uh, <clears throat> the, the, I don't know. I, I, I have, I happen to believe that something like that could be very, very interesting and very much fun to watch, but it would give a huge advantage if one of those two candidates was more glib or more articulate and yet, might have the worst ideas, but can't. You know, it could. You know, or has a personality that's a little more, uh, uh, shall we say, uh, over the top. Um, it, I, I think it could be personality. It could personality drive that kind of debate into something that might not be as pleasant as it, 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 it as it looks written down as a proposal.
2: So you feel that if there were no moderator and the candidates were just left in a room to have a one-hour discussion, that format might lend itself to people seeing more superficial criteria by which to select. Exactly right.
3: And and, and it it could become one of two things. It could become... Oh my goodness! It's really great to get to know you, and uh, you know, and let's talk about this and and all of that. Or it could be, in other words, they could they could talk for ninety minutes and not say a thing.
2: But we'd learn so much about their character, wouldn't we? Those yeah. that became yeah, aggressive, and right. those that's that were accommodating. Right. Um, it'd be absolutely. interesting without any questions in advance to force them to sit in a room. But, of course, I'm a scientist, though. You know, I spent most of my career watching bonobo monkeys behind a, the lab <laughs> glass. So, so you know, I don't want structure. I just say, hey, throw them in there and Let let's see what happens, right? Yeah. Uh, well,
3: you know, I think what would be a good idea, if, they, if they, they only have three debates, let's say they had four or five debates, and do one of them that way. You wouldn't have to do all of them that way. Do one of them.
2: Yeah, what about and this that's... town hall format? Are you in favor of that?
3: Well, I think it's it, 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 it's less town hallish than it uh, than than the label implies. Uh, in that in the in the final analysis, the decisions about what questions are asked are still made by the moderator. And uh, you know, I got uh, every every town hall uh, debate that I ever moderated. There were hundreds and hundreds of questions in the process that were that I was given to choose from. Yes, and I made the final decision and um they don't uh, they and and the they're they're not it's not spontaneous in any any form i don't know uh, i think it's it's possible
2: it's not uh, really a town hall as you point out no, it's almost no. like a town hall show Exactly. Right. Uh, but but That's it's right. not it's not spontaneous and and uh, the questions are already decided. And also there's this awkwardness in the ones where they have people sitting in the bleachers where the candidate has to come out and then they have to retreat back into their corner and it just makes me physically uncomfortable.
3: Uh okay. it's awkward. I agree with you again. <laughs> I
2: agree with you again. <laughs> I think it's a format that works really well but not on television.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. They, it's uh. Here, here's the thing, Rebecca. That everybody has to understand about these debate, these, these debate formats, that a lot of it is driven, like it or not, by the wishes of the candidates. Yes. Uh, through their handlers and whatever. If somebody is really good, at uh, really good on his or her feet and really, you know, smooth, what they call a. A flannel – somebody with a real flannel mouth which is an old Texas expression. <laughs> that, that, and so that person's cat, handlers want a wide-open debate. Mm-hmm. They want a, 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 quote, town hall debate. Then the, the people who only talk in, in one- or two-minute lines, um, they don't. They don't. Yeah. They want it structured.
2: Yeah, they, they want it buttoned down. Sure. Absolutely. Now, we have to take our final break. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. You're listening to The Costa Report.
8: Do
6: you love creating salads as much as you enjoy eating them? Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Dole inspires fresh and wholesome dishes for any meal with their wide selection of salad blends and all-natural salad kits. From the mild and tender texture of sweet butter lettuce to the crunch of classic romaine sprinkled with colorful shredded carrots and red cabbage, Dole has over 30 salad blends to satisfy every palate. If you're looking for the ultimate in convenience... Try Dole's unique salad kit combinations that include farm-fresh lettuces and vegetables, mouth-watering all-natural toppings, and specially-made dressings. It's all you need to make a distinctively delicious salad. The possibilities are endless. Visit www.dolesalads.com for recipes and other ideas to feed your culinary imagination.
9: Big Data is being generated by everything around us all the time. Every digital process and social media exchange produce it. Systems, sensors and mobile devices transmit it. Big Data is arriving from multiple sources with ever-increasing velocity, volume and variety. It's becoming the world's newest resource for competitive advantage allowing decision-making to move from the elite few to the empowered many. The escalating demand for insights requires a fundamentally new approach to architecture, tools, and practices. To extract meaningful value from big data, you need optimal processing power, analytics capabilities, and skills. Find out how IBM Big Data and Analytics can transform your business. Visit www.ibm.com slash data today. That's www.ibm.com slash big data.
4: Is your internet connection slow? Do you experience outages or dread calling customer support? How about your latency? Etheric networks can help you. Networks is the Bay Area's locally owned alternative to DSL satellite and cable. Etheric provides fast, reliable, symmetric internet via our wholly owned network of towers covering the Bay Area from Salinas to Santa Cruz to Sausalito. We install a two-foot dish on your building and point it to one of our towers to connect you directly to the major data centers of Silicon Valley. Etheric directly connects to Tier 1 companies like Google, Facebook, and Amazon to ensure high-quality service from your building to the world. KSCO, residential special, residential service up to 10 megabits per second, symmetric, that's up and down for $85 a month and $199 installation, with guaranteed minimum speeds and uptime, unlike our competitors. Etheric Networks, call 650-399-4200. That's 650-399-4200. Etheric.net, that's E-T-H-E-R-I-C.net.
10: Hi, it's Charlie from The Garden Company, your locally owned garden center. Did you know that fall is really the best time for planting? The soil is warm, the days are cooler, and El Nino rains are on the way. Perfect conditions for fast root growth on new, drought-tolerant perennials, shrubs, trees, vines, and ground covers. We have so many beautiful choices, native to dry climates around the world, and a great selection of succulents. Enjoy the early darkness in your garden with colorful, glowing, hand-blown art glass garden stakes with solar-powered LED lights. And let us show you the best organic seeds and seedlings for an extended harvest from your fall and winter vegetable garden. Visit the Garden Company Nursery and Gift Shop and see why Good Times readers voted us Best Garden Supply. We're at 2218 Mission Street, across from Safeway on the west side of Santa Cruz. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Garden Company Nursery and Gift Shop, proud member of Think Local First.
2: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is the man who set the standard for in-depth, nonpartisan news coverage, Mr. Jim Lair. So switching gears for just a moment here... My father used to call the media the fourth branch of government because he said that it will always provide necessary oversight, and you certainly experienced that when you covered the uh, live Watergate hearings. Um, But there's been a lot of changes since those Watergate days from the viral spread of news over Twitter to 24-hour all-news channels. Can you speak to some of the good and bad changes you've observed in the media?
3: Sure. The good, the good, the good is that uh, years ago, uh, during your father's time and my time, um, uh, we had three or four ways to get the news. I mean, you get your everybody would read their local newspaper, watch one uh, nightly news program, and maybe read Time or Newsweek, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Now there are hundreds. I mean, and if you were to go in the in the evening to uh, any kind of affair in your neighborhood or in your hometown or wherever uh everybody who and they started talking about the news there would be a shared knowledge shared set of facts that everybody would would have agreed on and then they might start an argument about it but at least the, <laughs> the basic the basic uh, shared information would mm-hmm. be there that is no longer the case and uh now there are there are hundreds if not thousands uh maybe millions of sources of information of various kinds and some of it is 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 opinion information, some of it is historical information, some of it is gibberish, some of it is, is fabulous, some of it is very perceptive, some of it is stupid but it's it's all there, and that is a good thing in that 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 there are it's no longer information is no longer controlled by a handful of uh no matter how wonderful they may have been because I was one of them but no matter no matter how wonderful they were. It was The news was basically controlled by a handful of people, a large handful, but a handful. And now it's it's all out there. The problem, the downside of that is just that it's all out there. And uh, people are getting bad information, and sometimes they, the first thing they hear is an opinion rather than a fact, and they don't go back and then say, wait a minute, was, was, uh, you're saying Barack Obama was born in, in Timbuktu? And uh, where did you hear that? Uh, or whatever it is, whatever you hear, um, uh, or and, and at any rate, the average person who wants to be informed just has to work a lot harder than than he or she used to, but has many more resources to do that, and uh, that's the revolution that we're still in the middle of, and uh, everybody's party party to it, both the, both the, those of us in the, in the in the information end and those of us in the consumer end, which is everybody and uh, try to figure out a way to deal with all this tsunami of information that is flowing our way.
2: Well, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think it's a mixed blessing here. According to Eric Schmidt, the CEO of Google, we're generating as much new information every 48 hours as we did from the dawn of humankind to year 2003. That means every Friday that entire universe of information is recreated by Monday morning. So the trouble we have is the veracity Of the news.
3: That's exactly right. I couldn't agree. I mean, how do you,
2: you know, for every story you read, there's five that contradict it. And uh, and, and so in some ways, when there were only three or four news outlets, at least they went through a vetting process. There was some filtering process uh, before you got the news. It's the same problem I have with electronic publishing. These days, everybody can be an author. That's right. But there's That's more right. really crappy books than at any other time in That's history right. Right. <laughs> because You're the editors know. i mean, to get a book published, as you know, and I know, to get a book published by a major publishing house, you really have to have a real a, a book that they're willing to bet their money on
3: absolutely right.
2: And that, and that process it, alone was a vetting process.
3: Exactly right. Exactly right. And when it went through that process, and it was published by a name, a name uh, publisher that had that, that had a, 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 a hey, I got to pay attention to this quality to it. And now that that no longer exists. And I agree, but. The good thing is as you, you you we are agreeing on this. The good thing is that there are ways that you can go ahead and publish your own book or you can get other there are other ways to do it. You can do ebooks, you can still you don't have to sit back as oh my god, they But
2: it's also created so much junk.
3: Oh, I know. Just, oh my I goodness. Know. And and the
2: average person, how much time do they have to really go
3: research? I agree. I agree. This is why the re- why it's a revolution and why it's still in progress because nobody knows what to do about this. And uh, there's got to be a way to 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 access this information in a way that you don't have to spend all day doing it and uh, that we're not there yet. No, it's it's pretty
2: messy. We're right in the middle of it, I think, you know, and, and with any change. You know, any tectonic change like this, there's going to be a messy period in between, and I think we're just in that messy period. Um, I
3: couldn't agree with you more.
2: We are just about out of time, but um, I I have to ask if you're still writing and do you have a new book coming up, because you know I've read every one of your books. I'm a big fan of your writing.
3: (laughs) You should be a member of my family, because I don't think anybody else can make that statement.
2: I'm available for adoption. I'm a little old and used, but I'm available for adoption. Um, but do you have a new book coming out?
3: No, I've, I've, I've got a new book that I'm finishing, but it's uh, it's going slowly and uh, and not as well as I would like, but it's uh, it's I'm still working on it, and uh, it's, so it'll be a while.
2: Well, as a fellow writer, I'll tell you, you never really know where you are in the book until it's done.
3: <laughs> that is true. You got it. Amen. <laughs>
2: So, well, that is all the time that we've got left. But before we say goodbye, I do want to take a moment to thank you for your public service and for raising the bar for all journalists everywhere. Thank you, Mr. Lair.
3: Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you very much for, for your words and for your time today and everything that you've done.
2: Well, thank you, and I hope you'll come back soon. If your you station is leaving us after this first hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with Jim Lair today, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. How do you feel about the first GOP presidential debate? Am I being too harsh when I say the debates are looking more and more like game shows and not treated with the seriousness that electing the leader of the free world should portray? How did you feel about the questions that were asked? Wouldn't you like to know who the candidates have in mind for a vice presidential running mate or for secretary of state, defense secretary, treasury secretary, and so on? Why aren't these questions asked? Forward your comments to the contact page at RebeccaCosta.com. And if you happen to miss the full interview with Mr. Lair, remember that you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our YouTube channel. And if you haven't been to the website yet, well do that right now because it is chocked full of videos and book reviews and blogs and breaking news. And all you have to do to enjoy all of it is go to RebeccaCosta.com. It will cost you nothing and it is completely calorie free. And while you're at the website, be sure to check out our bookstore because when you click on any book on the bookstore webpage, it'll take you right over to Amazon.com. And by going through our book page to get to Amazon, you help support programming like you heard today. It is absolutely true. Amazon pays the Costa report a small percentage of everything you buy on Amazon if and only if. You go to our book page first, and I mean everything, a new printer, a backpack for school, a book, a camera, even a pair of socks. No matter what you order from Amazon, they pay a royalty to the Costa Report when you go through our website to get to Amazon to make your purchases. It won't cost you one red cent, I promise, I promise. So please, the next time you're going to buy something at Amazon, go to RebeccaCosta.com and click on any book on the bookstore page. It's easy and it's a free way to support your favorite weekly news program. And I'll tell you what, folks, if you like the interview today, then you're probably a big fan of nonpartisan radio, and that is what the Costa Report is all about. In the tradition of the McNeil-Lair Report, we try to maintain nonpartisan journalism, and I know there's not a lot of it on the air these days. It seems like almost every program that you turn to is somehow polarized to the left or the right to gain market points. Well, we're not going to go there. We're going to continue to hold firm and be a nonpartisan radio program, and we need your support. So I hope that you'll go to RebeccaCosta.com the next time you're thinking of making an Amazon purchase and let your friends know about it, too. My guest next week took over as executive director of the American Civil Liberties Union just seven days Before the 9-11 attacks, Anthony Romero will be here to talk about the growing need to protect liberties guaranteed by the Constitution. Don't miss an honest look at Post 9-11 America with Anthony Romero right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for a second hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report.